0: The following lecture was produced by the Rhode Island Student Assistance Services with funding from the Rhode Island Department of Health. Welcome to the Rhode Island Youth Mental Health Webinar Series. This week's topic, working with grieving children and teens presented by Ryan Loisel. Remember, your feedback is important to us. Fill out the survey in the description below for your chance at winning a $100 gift card. Thank you.
1: Hello everyone, and thank you for joining this learning experience on working with grieving children and teens. I really wish I did not have to say this topic could not be more timely, but unfortunately it is. I'm Sarah Dinklage, the Executive Director of Rhode Island Student Assistance Services, and we are proud to bring you this series of webinars focusing on youth mental health and trauma, and the unique role that parents, educators, and communities play in fostering resilience in youth. This series is brought to you in partnership with the Rhode Island Department of Health. For those of you who have attended our other webinars, you know the drill. For those of you joining for the first time, located below this video, you will see a description box that links to our website and Facebook page where we will let you know when more content like this will be released. In addition, don't forget to complete the post survey so we can get your input on topics for future webinars. By completing the survey, you'll have the ability to receive contact hours and a chance to win a $100 gift card. We are extremely fortunate to bring you Ryan Loisel. Ryan is a licensed independent clinical social worker and the program director for Friends Way. In his role, Ryan manages the day-to-day operations, including intake, referrals, and community outreach, as well as supervising the volunteer facilitators. He is widely recognized as an expert in the area of grief. Ryan studied at the University of Rhode Island and received his degree in human development and family studies with a minor in thanatology, the study of death, loss, grief, and bereavement. He received his master's in social work from Simmons College. I encourage you to ask questions during the webinar by just speaking up or putting the question in chat and I will call on you. Thank you again for your interest in this very timely topic. And I'm now pleased to turn it over to Ryan.
2: Thank you, Sarah. And really glad to be here and share what we do at Friendsway. My guess is Most of you have heard of Friends Ways. We get a lot of our referrals from schools. But just briefly, we are a children's grief center here in Warwick, working with children and teens ages 3 to 18 after a significant death has happened. Our groups are offered at no cost to our families. We do not provide counseling services. It's a peer-based support model where our children and teens are in with our volunteers who are facilitating our group. Like Sarah said, certainly welcome any questions that you may have throughout the presentation. So really just trying to get an idea of who is on this webinar, just to get an idea who is working with preschoolers, who's working with elementary aged youth, and if you're also working with bereaved parents. I think it's always helpful just to get an idea of who's out there, who's going to have specific questions and challenges.
0: I have some answers. So the majority are not working with preschoolers. I would say it's about a 50-50 as far as working elementary school aged 50-50 as far as bereaved parents. And then they have been made aware for the most part that they have worked in the past or currently with grieving children and teens.
2: I'd be curious, you know, any of the families that we're working with at Friends Way, we end up having conversations about how to best direct information to the school, either to have a point person or the teacher from the previous year to update the incoming teacher. And just curious, how how you know how you find out that you're working with children who are bereaved? So I know you have the PowerPoint, and I'll just speak to a couple of these that. By the age of 18, one in 14 children and teens will experience the death of a parent in Rhode Island. I always find that number fairly high, and especially for all of you who are working in schools, just imagining, I don't think anybody has a a class of only 14 kids, so if you've got a class of nearly 30, you've got a high percentage that you've got two of the students who maybe in your class who are experiencing the death of of a parent or certainly could be an extended family member. And, you know, just being aware and trying to remember these things are are really, really important, especially if there's things that need to be sent home and, and signed. Kids pay attention to language. So if you end up saying, have your mom and dad sign this and their dad has died, they might kind of get a little mad and or upset about that our next bullet point cannot be highlighted enough really talking about that children need honest information given in developmentally appropriate language this goes for ages 3 to certainly 18 but obviously you know any child who is just having having questions about their person having questions about what they want to know i had a family come in this week they've been a part of us a part of our program for about a year and the daughter's getting older and she's asking more questions about how her dad died. And she wanted to find out more information. So mom came in to contact me and to say, I just need to figure out what my daughter wants to know. And I want to figure out how I can best help her. So sometimes just sitting with the children and allowing them to ask the questions. And I always say in any of our trainings, that it's okay to answer a child, answer their question with a question as an adult, we kind of know like, all right, you just answered my question with a question, but it'll give the adult caregiver that much more time to gauge, to say, I'm curious as to why you want to know that next point, really saying that a child is never too young to participate in death related rituals. There are so many families that end up making the decision for the kids to say, I don't want them to be traumatized or I don't want them to remember their person lying in in the coffin. And a lot of times it ends up being the parents may have experienced a time where they had to go to a funeral and they weren't given the appropriate information. So just like in anything to prepare anybody as you were signing up for this webinar, you were given instructions, you were given information, you knew the topic, Kids also need to know that if they're going to be walking into a funeral parlor, what to expect. There's going to be sadness. There's going to be tears. There might be laughter. There could be a slideshow of pictures. There could be videography. There could be people laughing and they're not laughing because this person died, but they're sharing positive, happy memories and asking the child if they want to participate is crucial to give them the choice to say, do you wanna participate? Do you wanna be in the room? Do you wanna go beforehand? All of these things really involving the child because then it makes them feel like they belong. Children are incredibly perceptive and take behavioral cues from adults around them. This is not news to anybody who's working with kids that they're looking to figure out how they're supposed to be acting, how they're supposed to be grieving, how they're supposed to be expressing feelings. And the last bullet point on this slide, that grieving children often try to protect their parents and caregivers and vice versa. The parents and caregivers are often trying to protect their children. And there's a big disconnect in communication that happens with not only just children who are grieving, but parents not wanting to further upset the kids if the kids are, quote unquote, having a good day and being happy. I could speak for you know a really, really, really long time about all of these things, but just hit on a couple of these here. So maintaining memories for bereaved children and incorporating rituals is really crucial for their healthy integration. One of the parents' biggest fears is that their child is then going to forget the person who died. So encouraging memory sharing, encouraging stories that can be shared about the person continuing to use their name in everyday conversation finding out from other people who are connected to the kids and or the person who died is really important to create new memories and sometimes around either the child's birthday or the person who died for their birthday or a holiday having the kids receive you know a letter or a scrapbook of, of stories, because especially the youngest kids, they're making their own memories that they may not have been a part of, but they like to hear the stories that are, that are being shared. This is a really big question I get often about if parents should show that they're sad or if they're crying in front of the kids, and my answer is a resounding yes, Because more often than not, parents will call me and say, my kid is not expressing themselves. They're all bottled up. I don't know how to help them. And then in my supportive questioning, I find out that the parent may not show their emotions in front of the kids to really show that kids are paying attention to the adults. If they see that mom's not crying, then their perception is, I'm not supposed to be crying. I need to be strong. I need to be just need to hold it all together. It's really helpful for parents to be able to tell the kids, I'm sad today because I'm missing your dad. And this is why I'm crying. Children grow in spurts and grieve in spurts. I heard this in one of my classes at URI, uh, my first dentology course, and couldn't be more true that as adults, we're expecting kids to grieve as if they are adults and they're not. They are going to have all the feelings that they have for a couple of minutes, and then they're going to go off and want to play outside. I've had families that contact me and say, my kid just went to the funeral and right now they're outside playing. How could they be playing on such a really sad day and really reinforcing and telling the families that kids need to be kids and adults can learn a lot from kids to know that there's only so much sadness that their little bodies and minds can take in at times And now they need to go and play and get off, you know, get that energy out. And another really important point is that children may and will regrieve as they reach different developmental milestones. So as kids are changing schools, as they're moving, as they're approaching graduation, as they're getting their driver's license, they're now integrating all the information that they've learned And developed that they're understanding things differently. And they're also looking back to say, wow, I knew my dad wasn't going to be here forever, but now he's really not going to be here. He's not going to be the one to take me for my driving test. He's not going to be the one to walk me down the aisle. And that brings up a lot more grief reactions. As I mentioned uh, briefly, that we are a nonprofit providing peer based bereavement support groups to children, teens, and their families in our location in Warwick. We, under the pandemic right now, are still operating uh, virtually. And in a different year, we would have been serving over about 140 families, comprised of about 200 children. We have families coming from all over Rhode Island, as well as southeastern Massachusetts. We have five program nights, one Monday evening. We have alternating Tuesdays and alternating Wednesdays. And as mentioned, our volunteers are the ones who are facilitating our support groups. Certainly, if anybody on this webinar wants to find out more about volunteer opportunities, you can find out more on our website. And our volunteers are the best people in the world. this not only because I was a volunteer here for 10 years, but our volunteers are sitting with kids and teens and adults during really difficult times. And many of our volunteers have experienced the death of somebody close. And some of our volunteers received services from us at a particular age and are now able to give back. So we typically do our volunteer trainings one to two times a year on based on need. So just some images of kids that um, will hopefully help you, you know, just understand different things about their play. So I know on this call, we don't have many who are working with preschool age kids, but I will just do a little bit on each of these age groups. So preschool age kids, three to six, three to seven. So it's I like preschool, our kindergarten and our first grade age group here at Friendsway. And there's a lot of groups that I've been a part of. And the preschool age group is not for everybody. but it's for people who really want to just see kids being kids. And one of our biggest endeavors and things that we're taking on here is to really help the kids understand what dead means. We use really concrete words with kids because it's a lot easier to understand. We're not using passed away only because it's really confusing for kids. So we talk about death. We'll talk about dying. We talk about how physically, when someone dies, that their body stops working, their heart stops working, they're not breathing, they don't need to eat, they aren't functioning. And also understanding that death is is permanent. And this particular age group is not physically and emotionally able to understand that it's not permanent. They assume that, okay, well, when when is my daddy gonna be done being dead? They can't grasp that because of their development. And it's a really big toll on the parents and guardians to have to be retelling the story over and over and over again. So one of the ways that we help our kids understand what dead means is we have a what we call a dead box. And it's really a shadow box that was created for us. I always have to remind people that I did not, nor did anybody else, physically harm or kill the insects and bugs that are in our shadow dead box. But they were found in nature. And a lot of times, kids' first experience and first understanding of something that is dead is an insect or it's a pet. So we have dragonflies and bees and butterflies and all different kinds of insects that are dead have been glued down and they're in a a glass shadow box. And getting the kids to look and and wanting to almost say to themselves, I think I just saw the wing move. Um, I mean, it's their brain that wants that wing to be moving. And we talk about the physical aspects of of being dead. We do a lot of pretend play. And obviously, we haven't been in person in a long time. And seeing the kids dressing up, seeing the kids performing, uh, I say, surgeries and shots on either myself or any of the other volunteers, the kids pretending as they're being a doctor and going to the doctor's office and all of these things, this play is what kids are supposed to be doing. They have a ton of magical thinking. They're going to think that they've caused something because they wished it or something happened. So it's not correcting them, but it's trying to get more information from them to figure out what they're concerned about, what they're nervous about, what they're what they're sad about. So we come from a stance of a non-denominational program here. And what we say to our families is we like to get an idea of what they've told the kids about if there is an afterlife or not. We say that we want to obviously be respectful of anybody's, you know, beliefs or non-beliefs. And we end up just trying to get more information. So one of the kids will say, because I had this now almost seven-year-old come in this week and to say, I wish I could see my daddy. And so there's feelings behind that. Right, so I said, it sounds like you you really miss your dad. So if you could see your dad, you know, what would what would you do? And she said, well, I would take a ladder high up to the sky to you know, so I could I could go up and visit, or he could or he could come down. And I already knew that they had talked about there was an afterlife or there there is a heaven. So it's using the words and things that the families are already doing. So we're not imposing our beliefs on them. So activities for preschool age, and you're going to note in some of these things that these can be done for all different age kids, obviously tweaking them uh, to make them feel a little bit more uh, developmentally appropriate. But a feelings mask, I mean, this can be done as simple as using a paper plate to have the kids draw a feeling that, that they are feeling right now. And as they go around and introduce themselves, or you get an idea of like, okay, show me a happy face. And what we're doing now over Zoom is we're doing A lot of Simon says, or we'll even have the kids put a mask on, even though they are safe in their home and not near us, because we're trying to explain how much is lost right now that we can't see of the feeling behind the mask. And for older kids, we end up talking about it as a way of this is the feeling that people see because this is the feeling that I'm showing everybody. And then on the inside of the mask, they may have a feeling to say, well, this is what I'm not showing. I show that I'm always happy because if I don't show that I'm happy, I'll I'll get really sad. So using sand trays as a therapeutic tool, again, we are not providing therapy here. We're not interpreting how kids are playing and all things like that. But Using kinetic sand, using sand trays to have them create if they're having a bad dream or if they're having something that's really worrisome, say, okay, let's create the thing that was scary. And then can we add something in that will help? Or can we take something out that we, that we don't want to have there anymore? We'll talk a lot about dreams, a lot about memories, and sometimes the kids will reenact the, the funeral they'll reenact the the wake that they went to. And this is normal play. This is normal development. Because if I were to tell you that I went to see a movie last night and I would verbally tell you what the movie was about as a child, if they went to a funeral, they're going to try to tell you what happened by acting it out by you know recreating what they what they saw their brain is trying to make sense of this all right so now with our elementary age group kiddos roughly 7 to 10 second grade through fifth grade and a lot of these themes are repeated so we do a lot of talk and expressive arts around feelings coping skills and memories and it's not just the feelings of you're feeling sad that your dad died, but especially for the youngest age group, it's figuring out what feelings are. How do I show them? Who do I show them to? What do I do if I want to stop feeling a certain way? So sharing of memories is really, really important. And also acknowledging that there's some memories that I like to share. And then there's also some memories that are harder because we never want to paint the picture of this idealized, person that they did no wrong, especially if the death is a complicated one due to trauma, or if there was abuse by the person who died, you may end up hearing in your classrooms, you may end up hearing from kids that they're not sad that their daddy died because they no longer are being hit. And that might be a memory that they have. So we're always trying to encourage It's okay to talk about the good memories. It's okay to talk about other memories that are a lot harder to share with other people. As mentioned, to talk about dreams and one of the activities we did over Zoom a couple of weeks ago is we talked about what dreams kids have, what things would be calming to them if they were to be having a nightmare or if they woke up and they were sad and missing their person who died. We did a pillowcase with fabric markers and having the kids put on some particular words or images or just reminders of things that are are happy that would help them get back to sleep if they woke up in the middle of the night and they couldn't sleep we'll again like I said talk a lot about feelings and sometimes we'll do it as as charades or as a Simon says, and really just to get an idea of like what feelings they feel comfortable with, what feelings are harder, and always coming up with questions that the kids want to get answered. Could be as simple as, I don't remember what my dad's favorite food was. I don't remember what my brother's favorite color was. And having the kids write down their questions so that they can present those to their parent or guardian to say, I'd really like to get these things answered. I, I feel like I, I want to know more. And when conversations like this are happening with the kids outside of our building, that's that's certainly the goal. We're, we're really hoping to plant seeds to have these kids have the opportunity to know it's okay to ask certain questions and to be curious about their feelings and coping skills and, and the person who died. So activities that can be used for this age group as well as other age groups, we can do a collage about anything. And they're really, really cheap and easy to do just by using magazines and whether it's a a collage about your summer activities, your interests, things that remind you of the person who died, things that you use as your coping skills. We, in our groups here at Friendsway, we have, we have question cards and that's exactly what they are. They're cards with questions on them. So either they're sentence starters or, you know, tell us about a time that you laughed with the person who died. They can be statements. They can be just general things that you're curious about and and wanting to know. And we use them often when the kids are potentially like playing in the sand or when they might be coloring mandalas, you know, as their mind is busy doing one thing. Kids do better if it feels like it's a game. And just asking a question because that way they don't feel as, as strange. Like if you're not having anything in front of you, just say, okay, like, tell me all these things about how you're feeling and this person who died. mention again, the feelings mask, again, can be made more age appropriate for, for older kids by drawing on one side, how they show the world. And then on the inside, what they, what they keep for themselves. Memory boxes can never be enough. You can always do something with memory boxes, having it be a shoe box or a more elaborate you know wooden box. That way the kids can put different treasures, different things that they have that remind them of the person who died, different things that they've made either here at Friendsway or or in other places. We often talk a lot about worries and figuring out which worries you have control over and which worries are a lot harder to to manage. So kids will use mason jars. I've got a mason jar project for just about anything and having the kids put down a worry. If they're worried about their math test next week. Okay. Well, that's a worry. How can they best help themselves with that worry? They can study, they can just feel more prepared. If they're worried that their mom might also die, that might be a worry of theirs. And that's often a worry of bereaved kids that they're always wondering who's going to care for me next. So if that's a worry, then you figure out what can you do about that worry? Do you ask your mom about her most recent doctor's appointments? Do you make sure that she's wearing her seatbelts in the car? Do you get nervous because she's still smoking? Those types of things. And body drawings, you'll see on the next slide, it doesn't always translate the way I always hope. But again, you can do a body drawing on on a piece of paper with like a gingerbread cutout man or person. And just having the kids identify where in their body they feel particular feelings. And if you're ever doing an activity assigning like colors to feelings, don't give the kids instruction to say that red is angry or red is love or yellow is sadness. Let the kids decide because different colors for different kids are going to mean different things. This was done at one of the camps I'm involved with. We had a kid lie down, Traced him, got himself traced, made the pose that he wanted to make. And we kind of walked him through different things that tell us where in your body you're feeling different things when you're thinking of the person who died. And I'll do two brief explanations on body drawing. So one of them, this one is very detailed. He's showing that his lungs are be- are breathing really, really fast. He's got a knot in his stomach. He's got like a fire headache. There's like a twenty thousand pound weight on his head. He's got heavy shoulders. He's got like a frog in his throat. His knees are feeling really weak. His hands are feeling like kind of clammy. So this is a very descriptive piece of this activity. During the same activity, we had a child, a boy, who was looking at the piece of paper and he had done nothing. He didn't even know either what to do or where to start. So. At first glance, anybody who's observing and would say, Wow, he's he's defiant. He's choosing not to do the project. I don't understand why he's not doing it. By sitting with him and talking with him to say, Hey, what's happening? What 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 can I help you with? And he just said, My mind and my whole body goes blank. I don't even know what I'm feeling. I don't even know what to do. I I'm so worried I'm going to color outside the lines. My body goes blank. So I don't have a picture of that one. And because he just ended up writing the word blank in it. And to me, both of these are very telling. One needing more explanation and description about it. But again, just goes to show that just because someone can't produce what's asked or required for the project doesn't mean that they aren't thinking about it or doesn't mean that they aren't struggling with it too. Okay, so kind of grouped middle school and high school together. Obviously, there's differences in their developments and everything, but generally are seeing, you know, similar themes for the kids in middle school and high school for anybody who's in middle school and high school for right now, I would not want to be a middle schooler this day and age at this point. The regular normal challenges of being in middle school and trying to figure out who you are and you're feeling goofy or you're not growing into your body in the, in the right way or all those things, you're being bullied, you're the one doing the bullying, and then you've had a death that you've experienced. So these kids are really wondering about themselves, their own identity. And even more so, we're seeing a lot of our kids who are questioning their own identity, figuring out, am I, am I in the right body? Am I transgendered? Am I attracted to you know, someone of the same or opposite sex? Or we've got kids much younger that are coming out. And a lot of it too is grief related. Some of these kids are wondering, I came out to my dad but I didn't end up coming out to him and letting him know that I'm transgendered. And I don't know how he would have perceived that. I don't know if he would have found that, you know, good, bad, and different and kind of measuring themselves, you know, to that. So a lot of times in the, in the middle school and high school group, it's all about their peers and how they're being perceived and kids don't want to be the ones kind of sticking out. So don't be, surprised if you're working with somebody who's in middle school or high school and they haven't told you know you either as their adjustment counselor or social worker that they've experienced the death of somebody close because oftentimes they don't want to feel like you're giving them different treatment. They don't want to feel like you're making them feel uncomfortable. So we talk a lot, a lot, a lot about coping skills and self-care and being mindful and figuring out what to do when you have all these really hard feelings and how do you tell somebody that your, your parent died or that your brother died by suicide? And who do you tell things to? And a big thing with the middle school and high school specifically is trust. And they're not just going to tell every person what's going on. They might try to figure out what's, what's their, what's their intention behind the question to say, yeah, um, my, my dad died. But right now, I, I don't want to get into it. But if you, if you ask me later, we, we, can, we can talk about it. These kids are often questioning what's going to happen if their parent dies and they're left to fend either for themselves or is an aunt coming in to, to help and assist or take over and really just encouraging the kids, like if you have these questions to ask, who can you ask them to? What kind of environment do you need this to happen in? So we'll do a lot of role plays or kind of brainstorming to say, okay, this is a situation that came up in school for me and it didn't go as well as I wanted it to. We talk a lot about supporting each other. And even though our groups right now still over Zoom, there's this support that during a Zoom, you know, someone will text something in the chat to say, you know, thanks for sharing that, or I wanna I wanna connect with you, you know, after after this, so that there's still this community of. We, we get it. We all want to help each other. And another big theme, middle school and high school, we really talk a lot about integrating what the death means. How do I do things differently now that since my brother died, you know, I'm an only child now. And are there things that are important to me or other there, there are things that I would want to take on in roles you know, in in college, do I want to become a chef because my brother liked that? Or if he died by suicide, do I want to become a part of the suicide prevention groups and talk more about mental health and and things like that? So it's kids really figuring out their identity as a result of the death that has happened is, is a really big theme. So additional activities that you can do with the kids and teens. So journaling tends to be pretty big, even if, kids really aren't into journaling specifically where, you know, try to let them know, this is not, this is not a dear diary. This is not anything anybody's going to read from you unless you, unless you want to have it happen, but we'll sometimes start each group with, with a specific question, really just to get an idea of where they're at and what we've done more recently, I became aware of dissolving paper. And I feel like this could have changed, you know, so many things much more in some previous activities. So dissolving paper is just that it's on Amazon. And you write, you draw whatever you feel like you want to get out of your head and using it in a way. Maybe it's a wish that you want to send to the person who died. Maybe it's something that I want to write this letter to my mom about the ways that she disappointed me. And I want to get all these things out of my head. I'm going to put it down on the paper. And it really works best with the more colorful, you know, crayons and or markers that you're using. Because then once it lands in the water, it dissolves. And the kids kind of see the colors, you know, move. And they know what they've written. And they might, you know, want to make sure that all of it you know, all of it has dissolved. We usually plan different things for our kids for over the summer with a grief survival bag. And it's really anything from, you know, giving them a journal, give them crayons, sidewalk chalk, Play Doh, tissues, all different things to help remind them that these are all the things that you can do when you're having a really bad day, or, you know, these are things that you can do to help remind you of the person or remind you of the time here at Friendsway. And one of the projects we did several years ago, just by having the kids either bring in a a blank canvas uh, white shoe is have them decorate it. Have them, you know, have it be a story or kind of called it in their shoes to say, if I if I had walked in your shoes, what experience would I be going through? Here's how I would best know and understand what, what it is that is, is happening and using color and embellishments and glitter and paint and all different things. As we're wrapping up, laundry list of themes certainly come up in our groups. One we're trying to break is isolation. So grief is very isolating. It creates feelings in your body that you're feeling like, I'm the only person that's been having these. So by our peer-based support model, our kids then feel not as alone to say, I'm feeling sad. I'm experiencing this and my group members are also saying that they felt this. So I don't feel as alone. Depression comes out in many different ways, you know, psychosomatic and for the kids to feel that, you know, it's okay for me to feel the feelings that I'm feeling right now. And there are days that I want to feel the sadness and those days that I want that to be the feeling that I don't want to feel the most. I want to feel happiness. We have a lot of guilt that gets brought up. Certainly depending on cause of death for the person or if they felt that they could have prevented the death in any way. And being comforted and being curious if the person was uncomfortable or in pain when they died is a really big topic that we end up talking about. We already mentioned that worrying about the surviving parent or caregiver, what's going to happen to me, what happens if, you know, what happens if you die. And these are normal reactions, normal conversations that should be happening more often, because if you have the conversations with the kids or the adults have the conversations with the kids, it takes that surprise element. It takes those things that they go, okay, so I'm going to go with Auntie Linda. If something happens, okay, now I don't have to worry about that. And dating. And sometimes the parents may not feel that they're like, well, I don't really know if I want to be telling my kids that I'm dating yet. They're going to have feelings about it. Just talk to them about it. You know, there are some parents that say, My kids have told me that they never, ever, ever want me to to date or they want me to get a new dad for them. So these are topics that get shared in our our peer groups as well as our adult caregiver group. And I should have a a bullet point on here to say that hard times are every day, certainly birthdays, death anniversaries, but anytime that there's a change or an ending to something. So the start of school or you're, you know, you're leaving school for the summer. You know, certainly graduation and, and graduation from each school year too, to say that I'm I'm leaving the 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 preschool that I've that I've gone to and now I have to you know go to a brand new school. And then I've got to tell all these other people that I've also experienced the death of somebody, or changing schools in the middle of the school year, or moving, or certainly holidays. Sometimes it's not on the actual holiday. For instance, Father's Day tends to be a really big one, and it's more the lead up to it. So the day before Father's Day could be, you know, quote unquote, worse for uh, for a kiddo, as opposed to the actual day on Father's Day. Or it might even be the day after to say I was trying so hard to keep myself all together that I came I I came undone. I came apart, you know, afterwards. So acknowledging that these again, every day is really hard when you're grieving, but certainly paying attention to these special days and, and hard days. Where friendsway.org, the Dougie Center is what Friendsway is modeled after. They've been in business for about 35 years as the first children's bereavement center. ChildrenGrieve.org is the National Alliance for Grieving Children, has amazing resources. Hello Grief has is part of um, comfort zone. So they've got different short articles for our grieving population and community. And centering.org is specific resources for grief, bereavement, loss, you name it. And then there's a handful of books on other pages that you're welcome to look in. We also have some of our resources on our on our website at friendsway.org.
1: Thank you, Ryan. Uh, I have been asked to ask you if you could give some examples in like specific language you would use with particularly preschool and elementary around the death of a parent by suicide or sibling by suicide. What would you say?
2: Um, Right. So really hard question. Get asked it a lot. And it's an opportunity. So you, in all circumstances, when you are sitting with kids and telling them something sad, making sure that you've created the environment that is going to be comforting and you're not doing it as you've got to like run out to the grocery store or say something really sad to tell you and to say, we found out that daddy died last night. And using silence and using those points to allow the kids to say a little bit more or ask a question, because if we go in as as adults and caregivers and we just give these kids all this information, they're not going to know how to digest all of it. And then you say, so daddy had a sickness in his brain. And sometimes when people have a sickness in their brain, they're not always thinking clearly and they're in so much pain that they think the only way to stop the pain is to die. So your your daddy caused his death and he... But right. Anyway, so again, at, at that point, trying to figure out what you want the kids to know and if they're asking more questions or if they're satisfied with that, and then they're gonna go off and play. And then tomorrow, later that day, a, a month from now, they're gonna ask more of those questions. But it's trying to get an idea of like what they want to know and making sure that the adult is also breathing while you're while you're doing all this stuff. Because th- these are the hardest conversations you're you're gonna have with their, with, with your kids. Was to say that, you know, we tried everything we could to help. But his pain was so hard that he wasn't he wasn't thinking clearly. And the, the only way he knew to make it stop was to was to stop living.
1: Thank you. Not easy. Um, another question. Parents who when when a person dies by a drug overdose and the parent is worried about tainting the image or memory. Mm-hmm. Of the parent, the same could apply for suicide. Do you is there any, is there any different advice in terms of a person who, whether it be accidental, in this you know case, uh, dies by an overdose? Certainly, I know you're working with kids where that's happened.
2: Right, and you know it's a huge question that gets brought up because the parent will say, "Well, I don't want my kid to know that it was an overdose because I don't want their image to change because of because of it." And I think a lot of times that's really based on the adult themselves because their belief and their image has been tainted and they're already bringing that to the kids. But it's so important. I mean, just as if I were to say that there's cardiac history in my family I should also know that there's, you know, mental health history in my family to know that there's bipolar and things that I I should be aware of. So kids should know that your, your person did struggle with substance use. And, you know, this is what that means. And I mean, the adult can obviously say, you know, we, we're all measured by, you know, good, good and positive memories. And then the memories that are a lot harder and that's made up, like we're all made up of that. We're, we're, none of us are 100% perfect. Um, and I, it is that fear that they're not going to, you know, they're, they're going to view their dad differently now. And if they do, you, you talk about it, it's an opportunity for, for more communication. Great.
1: Thank you. Are there any other questions from anybody? Thank you for those who sent those in. Reminder to complete the survey. And yes, we do thank you all for attending. Thank you so much, Ryan. This was very helpful with these practical tips and strategies. Sure. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. To find more content like this and see the video version of these webinars, please see the links in the description below. If you like this one, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.